Welcome to Shirt Factory Center Stage, a podcast recorded at the newest century-old hotspot, the Littit Shirt Factory. Join in as the relentlessly curious co-hosts Jim Hoffer and Kim Schaller shine a spotlight on the talented performers who will entertain and energize audiences from this very stage. It's quirky. It's fun. It's a behind-the-scenes listen that you won't want to miss. And now, here's Shirt Factory Center Stage. Welcome to Shirt Factory Center Stage. I'm Jim Hoffer, joined by my co-host, Kim Schaller. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jim. This is our second episode. (laughs) Wow. But I am really psyched because, for the first time, we have a guest. Yes, we do. We have a guest. Wait. You didn't think it was fascinating just when it was the two of us? Like, is that what you're saying? I think only you and I thought it was fascinating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hate to say it. True. And our guest for this episode is Hunter Johnson, who is the founder and owner of the Tono Group, which is one-stop shopping, basically, for architect, design, and construction. And they are now in their 20th year. And you know what I found interesting? When I was doing my, my research... That the business was started 010101, which as a numerologist, like I find that fascinating. Uh, it seems to me as though a great series of numbers, and I, apparently it's served them well so far. And then the other thing I was thinking is, what was the, like, what was our first oh, did, number? I think it was Friday the 13th. <laughs> no, it was not. But listen. We need to make note of it at some point. So why Hunter Johnson? Yeah, and why the Hunter Tono Johnson? Group? Well, because they're the ones who I selected to, you know, take this warehouse that I bought and to to make my vision for it come to life. An abandoned 100-plus-year-old brick warehouse, forgotten, forlorn, and I, I knew that that would be one of the most important decisions that I made in this project is, you know, who am I, am I going to get to make this vision come to life? What introduced you to the Tono Group? Ah, interesting story. I went to a new restaurant in Lancaster, Luca, with a friend. Oh, I love Luca. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I step inside this restaurant. I mean, I was immediately blown away by the architecture. Mm -hmm. They had these exposed wooden trusses. It was just beautiful. It was a place, before I, I tasted any of the food, it was a place I wanted to be. Was Hunter there or something? No, what is the restaurant oh, that's to do with? So I asked the waiter, I said, who refurbished this building? Oh, gotcha. Okay. And he said, well, that's the Tono Group right next door. Well, a few days later, I reached out to the Tono Group and, uh, you know, the rest is history, yeah. as they say. Well, that seems like a perfect place to start because yeah. Hunter is sitting right here. <laughs> oh, yeah. So Hunter's Hunter, here. like, let's hear your recollection of that first meeting. How did that go? I don't remember that at all, Jim. I think you're... <laughs> Making all that up. That's a great answer. Jim's vision, we went through a bunch of evolutions together, but it was very clear from the beginning what he wanted to see happen. And I think what intrigued me the most about our conversation was that it wasn't about the money. Like Jim really had a heart for, um, you know, let its borough itself for this community. I mean, moving back after having been away for a number of years, coming back into the network of people here to make an impact and do something in our mind, that is a community-driven effort. You know, it, it's what we call, you know, making meaningful places. That's kind of our hashtag slogan. I'd say more of our, even our lifestyle motto. We want to make places that are impactful, that they're purposeful, that there is a, a higher reason why the place exists in the first place. It isn't simply art for art's sake. 
It's not a technical exercise of just trying to put shelter in place, you know, make places watertight and whatever else. This is really a place that we talk about how we make architectures to elevate the soul. And I think that's hopefully what we achieved. That's right, to elevate the soul. You say that a building has soul. I've heard you say that before. And my question is, when you came here the first time and walked in this building with me, did you feel a soul? I saw an old soul, as they say. Yes, we did. You know, I have to say that um, when you come into an old, older building, we do a lot of older building renovation work. I mean, again, the heart of being in a old colonial town like Lancaster, you know, and, and with Lidditz kind of as a, a secondary community to Lancaster as a basis the infrastructure, for the most part, is intact in a lot of these places, and that's what we love. I mean, being right outside of Philadelphia, all of, you know, the, the geography we're in is kind of the heart of Americana in a lot of ways, and you hate to see the stuff disappear. And so, in some ways, when you find an artifact like, you know, the shirt factory, which literally was a shirt factory, hence the name, what you're trying to find is, like, in some ways, you're almost uncovering a ruin. You know, it's a bit almost archaeological in some ways. You're trying to find, like, well, what's the essence of that place that you don't take away so much that you lose the spirit of what it was, but you know you have to add new to make it, you know, have the conveniences and amenities that we all anticipate in any facility, whether it be residential or commercial project or institutional. So in this case, it was sort of like, how do you kind of scrape away, I'll call it the scars and the blemishes that, you know, don't really contribute to its, maybe its higher purpose long-term, but then add enough that doesn't ruin it. There's a, a delicate balance there. And I think what I saw in this place you know, was trying to give it back to its, you know, the root of its shell. I mean, it's it's brick, it's timber, it has stone foundation. We will get into the discussion of stone later in other forms, I'm sure. But there's a heart to it and an ambiance that's almost natural, that it comes with it. And you don't want to mess that up by intruding on, you know, the fundamental character of the architecture. The intent is to just kind of embellish it in some ways. You know, and I think you're talking about things that you found. And I think now's the time to dive into that whether we call them obstacles or opportunities, what are some of the things that you found here? Yes, we use the euphemism of opportunities. <laughs> Instead of challenges. Uh, yes, yes, yeah. and challenges. And Jim knows this. Unfortunately, there were no shortage of them. And, and that is part of what happens with, um, you know, older buildings that, you know, you literally are uncovering hidden gems and in some case they're not um i'll never forget the day that i did have to call jim and we talked about the first day of excavating the elevator pit for this building we do have an elevator that had to access four floors one of the first things we did was we we actually did some probes we were we were careful we had penetrated the concrete slab and we were sort of digging into the the floor the dirt floor underneath the, the concrete to find out what was there we dig always dig on the opposite corners so that we're you know the best shot is we're going to hit whatever was there we dug down three feet hit nothing and then uh, began the actual excavation work. And of course, the opposite two corners had literally solid bedrock running right through the foundation. We had to excavate down 10 feet, basically, to get to the depth we needed for the elevator. And it took almost three months. Ten, it was basically feet of pure bedrock. Of solid limestone oh, bedrock, basically. Uh, poor guys that did that. They were, uh, you know, anyway, it was a Herculean effort. Yes, it became quite an impediment for quite a while. But Jim was unthwarted in this effort. If he could have done it himself, I'm sure he would have. Uh, and we persevered and we got there. And as Jim said, it's the nicest elevator in you know, uh, all of greater Lynn's area. The nicest. <laughs> I always say it's the most expensive elevator in Lancaster County. So. And you do have to you charge admission to ride it. 
Well, we talked about that. Yeah. It hasn't happened yet, but I think that might be one revenue stream we need to explore. I didn't get to ever ask you this question, but I always had it in my mind is Tono has such a huge portfolio of really big projects, you know, the Hershey Town Square. You've built a headquarters for a defense contractor in Florida, tech companies. You've done work for churches and hospitals. So I'm wondering, why did you want to do the restoration of the shirt factory? Because in comparison to so many of your projects, this is really small potatoes. Well, you're, you're very kind to even say that. But we never really look at it about the project. We look at it about the people. And it sounds cliche to say it's really about the relationships, but it really does come down to that. It's who do we really want to have the opportunities to work with and what kinds of folks offer the opportunity for us to hopefully bring our highest and best, you know, offerings to the, to the table. Scale is somewhat irrelevant to us. It, it really is about what is the opportunity that creates the best potential outcome independent of what the scale of the project is or where it's located. Throwing money at it or uh, carrying an ego into the opportunity or, you know, a big title that comes with it does not always result in the best outcome. In fact, it usually runs converse to that. And so to us, Jim, it was really about working with you and seeing that readily from the beginning, there was a genuine interest in, and a sincere interest in, you know, you wanting to see the highest and best outcome, you know, sort of opportunity for this property. And again, you only get to know if that was, the result was there at the end. So you were committing to a journey together it's an investment, not only of dollars, it's an incredible emotional investment, time investment. We know it's an odyssey. I mean, this becomes a venture and no, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, we're doing a doghouse or a corporate headquarters, whatever. There's always going to be that relative scale involved. And um, to know that we, you know, that you entrusted us to that opportunity was, was huge. And I think in the end, and hopefully you're seeing that now that it's opened and patrons are beginning to enjoy it that they actually see that, that there's an authenticity to the, what was done in a collaborative manner because the end result shows that. It's not artificial. It's not fabricated. I guess the follow-up then is if at the beginning of the process, uh, people and whether you click with the person is important, do you ever pass on a project because you get a bad vibe or you just don't feel like that person is someone you want to work with? We call that firing the client or maybe even before they are a client. And it is hard. You know, it's always hard to say no, especially when things like theoretical prestige or dollars or, you know, association are being kind of waved around in front of you. But there are those vibes that we've gotten and they've been hard ones. We've had a few that, man, I'm telling you, to walk away from and some midstream where you're just like, this is going down a bad path. And, you know, my dad always would tell me, you know, you, you've just got to take, it's the cliche, but it, it's true. Taking the higher road sometime is the road less traveled and it is really difficult. But I feel like I have an innate responsibility too, to look out for the welfare of my team. You know, the people that are employed by me work under our umbrella. And if I feel like they're not being treated well, or it is going to result in higher risk or liability, or just we're not being respected and employed in such a way that we, or deployed in such a way that we can deliver what we should be able to do. And then it's going to result in unmet expectations for everybody involved. From a professional standpoint or personally, have you walked into a space and felt bad juju or felt bad this juju. is really uh, something, whether it's haunted or something, if you feel That's such funny. a vibe in spaces, 
Have you experienced that? Well, on both ends of the spectrum, yes. I mean, maybe on the one end of the spectrum, the very positive would be the building that we developed in downtown Lancaster, where Luke is located with us. That was almost an immediate, like, we must do this project. Like, it has so much potential. And it was so similar to this building, like, discarded and forgotten about. And I didn't even, frankly, had never noticed it, like, on the street. But once you got inside, you, you uncovered the bones. It was literally crawling into the attic and seeing those bowstring wood trusses that was like, oh, gosh. This, they were hidden. They were hidden, you know, hidden under layers and layers of attic. And we've got to do this. Um, yeah, there have been other ones where, oh, you know, whether it be from stepping in the bird guano the moment you walk onto the site or, you know, I don't know, just you name it. There are some of those that you think this isn't salvageable. And beyond that, it is a, a frightening set of liabilities, you know, oh, for somebody. Gotcha. And that's the disappointing part because there are times when you have to tell somebody you made a bad choice, whether they already purchased it or that right. they're already going down the road and you need to look elsewhere. And that's actually where we find like our best value comes in is when we're brought in at that earliest moment before someone makes that decision, you know, and hopefully don't make a fatal error in the process. But, you know, our value as design professionals, as planners, as constructors, it can never be brought too early into the that discovery process because again that we we, we kind of know what we're looking at but right. uh, and often as i said before we're dealing with older infrastructure where you don't always know the the potential the upside potential or the downside liability and sometimes there's a you know flip to that i mean we've been on contaminated sites we've been in situations where often what the problem is is, is you know the the um, regulatory environment you know that can be the onerous part too that someone doesn't realize well you just can't do that there Mm -hmm. And you think you can and, you know, cut bait now and walk away. Here's another question that I have for you specifically regarding this building. There's a lot of similarities between the two of you. I mean, like Jim's the same way. He is always focusing on buildings and bridges and things I don't even pay attention to. But you've, in, you know, you've improved my sensibility to all those things, which I appreciate. But you're also a music guy. So when you found out that Jim had his vision was around music, did that also interest you further in this building? And then tell us a little bit about your architecture and music are along parallel lines. Well, they very much are. Yeah, I think it's the brain, same size of the brain. You know, there's an art and a science to music as well. Um, you know, that's what architecture really is. It's a delicate balance of the two. And you think about rhythm and cadence and, you know, uh, and so forth as part of the, I, I'd almost call it the, the science of music, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the mathematical piece of it. Then there's a creative element, which, of course, is, you know, melody and, and how you weave it together and arrangement. I've been, you know, quasi-musician my whole life. I say quasi because I'm I'm a drummer. Drummers aren't really musicians. We just bang uh, and stuff. That's not true. <laughs> that's not, that um, is not true. But anyway, I... I no, I, I like drummers. When Jim mentioned that, you know, his real intent here was to make this a venue, you know, yeah. not, not only for music, but in many other, you know, community-driven potential engagements, I just love that idea. And I think that my ultimate goal, and Jim knows this, is that we want to bring my band in here one of these days... Hopefully this year. What do you think about that, Jim? What is the name of your band? The Notorious uh, Traveling Pillsburys. Um, <laughs> oh we've been together God. for over 30 years. Uh, not that we get together all that often. Once a year, at, at the very least, we, we formed in 1985 at the University of Virginia in a fraternity basement. And we've been together ever since. Uh, we, yes, we do take our cues from another band by a similar name of uh, a famous lineups of people. But we all have our stage names. Uh, we love what we do. It's fun. Wait, what's your, wait, stage, what's name? your stage name? I'm Bocephus Pillsbury. <laughs> wow. Bo for short. Just yeah. so you know. Oh, Bo for short. Yes. Wow. And we will, we will, we will rock this venue oh, at some point. Oh my soon. God. That would be a, a definite you know. sellout. And we're hoping <laughs> as part of the 20 year Tono anniversary, as you mentioned. So 
Because oh, we still have this nice. calendar year to do that. Oh, yeah, you still oh, do. Oh, there's still time, Jim. Book them. I wonder yeah. if they'll be available. I wanted to ask you, you know, beside, you know, the shirt factory is completed now, but obviously you have other projects going on. Tell me about that. I mean, first of all, how many other projects is Tono working on at one time? And what are some of the more interesting ones? Well, we're fortunate. There's no shortage right now. It's, um, I would say we probably have close to 50 active projects in some stage of um, planning, uh, permitting, or construction. They do range the gamut uh, from healthcare to commercial retail, single-family residential, industrial. One of the more interesting ones right now, I mean, at least there are a lot, and we're, we're fortunate to have some really fun ones. We're doing our first project the furthest west we've ever been. We have a project in Montana that we're working on. I was just wow. out there a week nice. ago. Nice. Uh, it's about to move into construction. Uh, we're very fortunate to work with a company here in Lancaster that I know both of you know mm-hmm. that manufacture uh, trailers. And Should uh, we mention their name? I know we can. I'll mention their name. Yeah. That way you will it's, get- it's public. It's about to be press released, so it's, it's good. Uh, yeah, MHEB, you know, proud manufacturers here in the heart of Lancaster County. But they have uh, seven or eight national locations, and they have brought us on board. We've done it several projects with them recently, but it's really great to be working with them directly on such an intimate experience because we are kind of developing a prototype that they can then sort of take on the road, no pun intended. And uh, the newest will be in uh, near Billings, Montana. We were just out there recently. Uh, that will start construction hopefully within the next six weeks, maybe month. There are a number of other things that we're working on that I think will be revealed soon enough. We've been fortunate to work with some of the bigger healthcare institutions. We just helped Penn Medicine open a new facility here about three blocks from where we stand. Which we're thrilled uh, about Which that is very too. cool. It's, it's going to have yeah. almost four or 500 employees in that building eventually. One That's of their you know, sort of uh, administrative headquarters buildings. Great people. It's, again, they entrust us and... We appreciate the opportunities. And did COVID just wreak havoc in your mm. world? Oh, no, not all. We, what was that? <laughs> I don't remember that. COVID, yeah, you might have heard yeah. about it. Maybe yeah. for a couple of days, right? Well, I tell you, it's still wreaking havoc. I mean, we're we're very busy. We're fortunate, like I said, now. But it did, you know, create all kinds of wrinkles and slowdowns for us during its early parts. But now it's kind of interesting to see the back end of the problem in that now in our industry, supply chain is becoming the real impacted problem. You know, now everybody wants it tomorrow and there ain't enough stuff whether it be material or people. Um, you know, we're looking to hire and grow again, uh, which is great. We're, we're look, you know, expansion is good if you can do it the right ways. But boy, I'll tell you, it's having this kind of compounding effect where there just isn't enough stuff to go around when everybody wants it yesterday. Everything got held off for a year and this is what happens. And you're hearing more and more about this from shortage of skilled labor to shortage oh, yeah. of microchips. Oh, yeah, the entire, you're right, the entire gamut. I, I see that as being sort of cyclical. We'll have some waves here. It'll probably ripple out for the next year. I guess that we're calling it the better problem to have. <laughs> Rather be on this end of it than where we were before. So we'll see where it, where it winds up. But I think it'll be some fits and starts over the next year. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully it doesn't slow down process and progress. But there's always a great way to solve those problems. Before we wrap things up here, I was very curious to know whom are the people that inspire you? It runs a gamut. You know, I think a lot of folks would probably say, which architects or, you know, builders or what have you. I'm like, well, I'm not sure that's always what what did. I mean, I first and, and foremost, it's interesting because, you know, my parents have been huge inspirations for me over the years, just in terms of the nurturing basis of how they they raised me, you know, integrity first, how you treat people, all things we've talked about in this conversation. They both have kind of a left-right brain balance. So I think that's what gave me kind of both sides of that equation. Interestingly, though, when I was in basically seventh grade, there was an addition we had being put on our home. And the gentleman that was doing that was kind of 
literally a little version of Tono. I mean, he was a kind of an all-around designer, builder, skilled uh, craftsperson. He became kind of my earliest mentor, and I ended up working for him during high school and part of college, uh, kind of learning the trades, literally working in the field. But he was a designer as well, watching how he put things together. He became kind of my first, and this is like seventh grade, when I first iteration, and I knew this was the path I wanted to be on. I don't even know if he's still on the planet with us, but Charlie Frick was a huge inspiration for me back then to kind of set me on this path. I'm always impressed by people who, you know, who get shit done, <laughs> you know, from Elon Musk. Oh, gosh, yeah. And Bill Gates to here locally, the, the Claire's. I mean, you know, I'm hugely inspired by people like that. They just make things happen. The entrepreneur spirit certainly is the other piece of it. And there have been a number of those over the years that have, you know, inspired me, but and newer ones as well, like a Stephen Jobs or, or you said an Elon Musk, who I, what I don't get is like, they're in some sort of other dimension because I don't know how many hours they find in a day. I feel like I use all 24. There are those that seem to have 50 or 60 and I wish I had that magic juju as well. Well, I think you do actually. You're, you're underselling too. yourself. I mean, how do you juggle 50 different projects I mean, I know just this one that I was involved in, the shirt factory, was enough to fill a day. He has great people. I mean, you have repeatedly said that the other people that you worked with at Tono were so great to work with. So I think it's, I mean, leadership is finding great people that are going to just lift you up. And I think that's what you have at the Tono group. I think that's a part of your magic dust. That is, that is the secret ingredient. I have to say, you know, first of all, I had no experience. I (laughs) <laughs> Did not know what I was doing. I've never done this before. You know, I'm a journalist by trade. Developing a building, I had no idea. But what I always thought was really great and I am appreciative of is that no one at Tono ever made me feel like, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about or what he's doing. I mean, I, there was a, a respect there that I really always appreciated. And it made the whole process fun. I mean, it was actually really fun. Rather than being, you know, kind of filled with angst right. and worry, it was. Right. It was no, fun. That's a real I have to buy another building so we can. Yeah, know, keep work doing together this. again. Again, you're kind of a renaissance man. I mean, you're a musician. You're very, very talented and creative. But you're also you're really into fitness and you're a runner. And I understand like that you're a mutter, yes, which is a slog through the mud, running a distance, uh, going over obstacles. But one thing I need you to know is. And uh, what I found out about it, it is a clear sign mm. that someone is going through a midlife crisis yeah. when they when they get into muttering. It's it's definitely a clear sign of that. Or as I turned the half century mark about four years ago, that's what did it for me. It was that trigger point. God bless this buddy of mine that I grew up with. He got me into it, and it is now a problem. It's, Are you you're it's doing an addiction. it still? It wasn't a one off. No, I wish it so was. I, my wife wishes it was. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Well, I hope it's not an unhealthy obsession because I like to think of it as a healthy habit. You know, it is exercise after all. Right. Uh, Although it's gotten me into a little trouble. I still have all my limbs. I'm okay. Uh, But yes, we officially it's known as obstacle course racing, OCR in in that world. And I'm learning these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yes, generally speaking, it's self-inflicted punishment. I have actually done the what's called world's toughest mutter twice. And that is a whole nother level. It's 24 hours. You go from noon one day to noon the next day. It's as far as you can go in cycles, five-mile course, 20-some-odd obstacles. I was able to get to 25 miles several times with about 300 obstacles probably along the way. And I still, like I said, have all my extremities. And again, following up, because after a mutter, I'm sure a cold beer is a really nice option for you. So the beer closest to our hearts right now. 
What's your favorite collusion beer? And that's, I was going to say, a tough one to answer, but um, because they have many and we love their stuff. We were sharing one the other night. The uh, Zerion Matrix, probably Mm, right now, is my my top um, hazy IPA. It's one of their signatures. Highly endorse. endorse. Humunculus is another one that probably ranks right up there. Again, I'm I'm kind of of that New England hazy persuasion. And uh, yes, it is encouraged at the end of Mutters, too. They flow freely. I'm supposed to run in something similar to that in about two weeks. We'll see if I can actually muster the energy. It's not an official mutter, but it's something similar. So beer will flow afterwards. Maybe we should organize a mutter through Lidditz that ends here Ooh. at the Shirt oh, nice. Factory in Collusion Tapworks. That is an excellent idea. The one I'm doing and I'm hoping to do in a couple of weeks is in Asheville, North Carolina, and it begins and ends at breweries. So I think you're onto mm. something, Jim. That go. I like. That I could get I, interested I, I in. I think we yeah. could do that. We could have drink stations like along the way. Part, I don't it doesn't have to have but money. Uh, there doesn't have right, to be let's, money. Let's say but goodbye anyway. to so, yeah, we're before he gets me involved in a mutter. <laughs> exactly. Because it is a team effort. There's no question. And we're very about team. supportive we're and about team. of each other throughout the team event. So other things to wrap up on, either Jim or, or Hunter, anything that you think is important to say? I just thank you both for Give me the honor of being part of this new showcase of yours, and I, I wish you all the success. I couldn't be more proud of this project, and and just so happy to have been part of Jim's team to bring this thing to life. It, we're hot off the press; it's now open. I mm-hmm. hope everyone can start to turn out here as we turn the corner on this pandemic. Let's put it behind us and let's try to enjoy each other's company again. Great, you Thank have you, just Hunter. been a delight. Thank you so much for your time. You're a busy guy. You're both welcome. Wow, what. A great first guest, huh? He's great. And how lucky for you to have gotten to work with him and look at this product. It's such a an amazing outcome of yeah. working with him. I mean, seriously, yeah. I mean, I thank God uh, again and again that I did go with Hunter Johnson and the Tono Group. They're they're fantastic. Yes. So that was it. Yeah. Good now, job, Jim. We want to hear from the listeners of Center Stage. So please. Send us your ideas, any suggestions, any criticisms, anything you want us to know about or or hear from you. We want to get better, you know, so any feedback that you have would be appreciated. Send us an email at littitshirtfactory at gmail.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Say goodbye, Kim. Goodbye, Kim. Goodbye, Jim. See ya. Bye. And while you're thinking about it, go to where you get your podcasts and subscribe and give us a review. Visit our website, littitshirtfactory.com. Join our mailing list and you will get updates, event info, and lots of cool stuff. Follow us on our social media channels, Instagram and Facebook at littitshirtfactory. And don't forget, come have a beer and a bite to eat here at Collusion. 5 Juniper Lane, Littitshirt Factory, seven days a week. 